Welcome to Think Global, a podcast for globally-minded disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to the Think Global podcast. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me is Brandon Stiver, my brother-in-arms, who I get to do this with. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. Thank you for engaging the conversation that we get to have with incredible people doing incredible things around the world. Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I, I, I got my vitamin D uh, intake uh, nice. this week. So, so I'm feeling good. I, it's, uh, January when we're recording today and, uh, I was able to, uh, to get to Florida this week. I had never wow. been to Florida. I had never been to Florida. Have you been to Florida? I have been to Florida. Okay. I have heard that California people don't care for Florida, but I think, uh, given that, yes, I'm a Californian, but I was coming directly from my home here in Tacoma. Mm. It was amazing. Actually. It was yeah. so nice. Florida in the winter is great. It's perfect, dude. Florida so in the perfect. summer is not as great. Oh, so interesting. The, okay. the humidity, it is like a, a shower when you walk outside. But, you know, I love I love a lot about Florida. A lot of great places. Um, I love yeah. St. Pete. Love, love some some other parts of the state. So, well, yeah. See, it, Glad it you were able to go out there with, yeah. with Care Portal, right? Yeah, I was out there with there? Care Portal. Was out there with Care Portal. So it wasn't just a, wasn't just a, a good environment wasn't just good food, but really uh, good people. Just, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm new to the team. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're at the end of my first week here uh, on the Care Portal squad. And man, just meeting some amazing, amazing people. Um, and it's just great to enter into an organization that is so focused on how to provide great care and how to fill gaps We've talked so much on the podcast over the years about filling gaps within child welfare. Um, obviously, we had Adrian and Jake back on the show a while mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just cool to be a part of, man. And just kind of the the, 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 the humility, um, the courageousness, to the courage to kind of step into a new space uh, within child welfare and kind of pilot something new and have it actually be successful, you know? So it's been, it was, it was great, dude. Got to meet some amazing people. Um, for the first time, it's just funny. It was like day two of, uh, me starting with care portal and it was like, all right, get on a plane and go to Florida. And I'm pretty sure coming from the Seattle area, I was like the furthest person traveling. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, but I got in all right. And it was a great, great couple was days, it man. The whole staff, was it the whole staff? It was all area directors. So they are in something like 20 states or something. And there's a number of newer markets um, that that they're entering into in the last year, Seattle being the newest, which is what I'm going to, which which, which is what I am now overseeing. Um, So, but they've broken into other new markets recently, like Chicago, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, just just a bunch of like new markets. Um, of course, they have ones that they've been in for a while in Florida and Oklahoma and Kansas City. Um, but uh, it's it, it was it was really great, dude. Get to work with That's some cool. awesome people, so I'm stoked. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I know. I know that. I know that was a question for some of our for some of our listeners uh, after after uh, changes at my previous org. So I'm just yep. God's so faithful, man. 
Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Now that's awesome. Love it. Love it. There's some great, like you said, there's some great people in Care Portal. I know a few right. of the few of the folks and every one of them are just great human beings. So I'm glad that, it's good, man. that you landed in a great spot. So and that's and the, that's, that's not ahead. the only change. Is that what yes, you're gonna say? I was say? gonna say did I, I beat you, to, did yeah. you to the segue. You beat me to the segue. Man, I don't, you know, <laughs> I I like being the segue guy. Segway. Um no, that's okay. That's okay. We, you know, we, we didn't talk about it. So, you know, no one knew who was going to do segue. So we are, we do have another change, you know, it is a time of transition. It's a time of change and with change, you know, comes some hiccups, you know, things that maybe you weren't ready for. They're, they're just things that we weren't planning on. And one of those things is we found out, you know what, there's another podcast out there with the name Think Global. And, yes. you know, that is, that is great and good for them. And they're, they're doing some great work, no doubt. Um, I actually haven't listened to it yet, but I have no doubt they're doing some good stuff. So if you do listen to it and it's not great for some reason, which I'm sure is not the case, then don't blame me for, you know, having bad taste because, uh, I'm just going on what they're talking about. So, but with that, we decided, you know what, let's just add a little something to the name that is something that we actually do anyway. We're, we're encouraging you all to take action with this. It's not just about thinking about orphans in the case of Think Orphan. It's not just thinking about global issues in the case of Think Global. It's about thinking global and what, Brandon? Well, and doing something about it. And, and specifically, you know, the thing that, the thing that you and I have talked about uh, just in the last few weeks, especially, but really it's been a thread throughout all the episodes that we've done is this understanding of, hey, we want to see things set right. And what is it? What is it? What's a word that we use for setting things right? And that's the word justice. And, uh, you know, for, for our Think Orphan listeners, for our Think Global listeners, um, you know, this has never just been, you know, Phil and Brandon sit down and talk to smart people. It is that, but it's not only that. It's also, hey, how can we play a part in what God wants to do in the world, um, whether that be for orphans and vulnerable children? whether that be for refugees, whether that be for, you know, in our last episode with Dr. Inslee, people that are affected by climate change, whatever. There's so many different vulnerabilities, but we don't want to just think about these things. We want to do something about these things. So uh, by God's, we'll, we'll, we'll chalk it up to Providence, man. Uh, and not, I'm not just talking Providence world. I'm talking God's I like it. I like it. We're going to talk it up to Providence um, that uh, we're going to do. Uh, and I had alluded to this a few uh, a few episodes ago uh, after you astutely pointed out, hey, there's another Think Global podcast. Um, <laughs> after you found that out, I said I, I did record at the end of Dr. Pucci's episode just saying, hey, guys, we are going to do a little change. It's going to be subtle. Again, it's the same. It's me. It's Phil. It's awesome Christians that are doing awesome work and sometimes non-Christians, of course, but just people that are doing good work to help people around the world. So uh, we are doing an update and and it's all about justice. So it's so we're going with think global, do justice. And uh, that's what it's about, man. It's about it's about word and deed. What do you think of that? I love it. I love it. I'm excited. I'm excited for it because it's it's kind of putting in the name what we've always been encouraging people to do. You know, we talk about at the beginning to not just have good conversations, but to engage it and engage it inward indeed and get it in spirit and truth, right? To, to be able to do these things that are both ands. And I love the both and approach to it. Um, so yeah, That's very good. excited, but all right. So what do we have today? 
Yeah, well, today is no exception to that. We have a great nonprofit leader. Um, he is the CEO at Cure, which, uh, and he's a friend. He's an adoptive dad. Not uh, the his, band, The Cure. Just, no. uh, just to distinguish, just to make no. sure. We got Justin no Narducci. We got no Justin Narducci on here. He is a he's the leading executive of a great, uh, very successful nonprofit providing uh, support, uh, doing children's hospitals throughout the world, um, especially in Africa. Mm. So uh, we're going to get into learning about what it looks like to be Christians that are providing healthcare to vulnerable people throughout the world. And um, there's nobody better for us to talk to than uh, Justin. He's just he's he's the real deal and he's a real leader within the global nonprofit space uh this is a this is an uh interview that uh, i'm going to be doing uh solo uh and that happens from time to time uh but uh but phil uh i know you're you're a believer in this ministry as well and uh 100%. and uh yeah i know you're gonna enjoy listening to the interview yeah yourself. bummed i'm not gonna be able to be a part of the actual interview but let's get at it Let's get it. All right. So here's my interview with Justin Narducci. Well, uh, Justin Narducci uh, from Cure International, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today, man? Yeah, grateful to be with you. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, well, you've been someone that has been on my list. Um, both of us have uh, lived on the central coast of California at different points. Both of us are adoptive dads. You're somebody that I've always looked up to in this space and uh, just really appreciate the chance for you to uh, connect not only uh, with me again, uh, you guys have such a wonderful family, uh, but really to connect with our audience and share about the, the work that you guys are doing at Cure International. Um, maybe we just start off. Can you introduce yourself to our audience and really kind of how God led you into this uh, global nonprofit space? Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks again, Brandon. Uh, my name is Justin. I've been the CEO of Cure International Children's Hospitals for uh, almost four years now. Uh, before that, I worked with another great ministry called Life Water, and before that, another great ministry called Life in Abundance. So I've been involved in sort of Christian nonprofit public health and development for almost 15, 16 years now, uh, largely in Africa, largely in East Africa. Um, but I'm learning some, some new things with, with Cure in other parts of the world that are really interesting and wonderful. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know about what we do, we operate uh, hospitals for children that provides um, surgery for treatable conditions like cleft lip and palate, um, a lot of different orthopedic conditions like club foot and bowed legs and knock knees and even some really complex spine surgeries now. And we have one hospital dedicated to providing neurosurgery to children. So um, basically life-threatening brain tumors and hydrocephalus and spina bifida and, and doing some really cool things with epilepsy now. So very complicated technical work that's happening in, in very difficult environments and at a really high level of quality, all in the name of Christ. And uh, we can kind of get into how all that works, but that's the overview of, of what we're doing every day. No, it's really remarkable work. And yeah, we're definitely going to get into how all of that works because, you know, when we do think about, you know, global ministries, when we think about injustices throughout the world, when we think about uh, disparity, 
Obviously, we know that in places like in sub-Saharan Africa or the Philippines where you guys are working, those disparities are just so clear and probably all the more so when we talk about healthcare. So, yeah, we're going to dig in, you know, really quick. You know, a lot of our listeners, Justin, are, you know, tuning in from around the world. Um, but wherever they are, they they have a concern, you know, for people in other countries. So, you know, why do you think it's important for Christians to not only think about their own family and their own community, but also consider the needs of people globally? Yeah. It's a both and thing, right? And uh, it's, it's hard to uh, kind of summarize theologically, you know, why we would do these things. But I think there's a lot of places in scripture that really inform our thinking about these things. You know, um, there's the classic Matthew 25 verse that I think all of us kind of, motivated all of us to take action at some in some level for either local or global um, concerns. Uh, for us at Cure, we're based in Luke 9, uh, which is where Jesus sent the disciples out and, and commanded them to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. And so it's that, you know, kind of now and not yet kingdom where, where people are being reconciled to Christ and seeing physical transformation happen in their lives. And uh, that happens in our case for obviously healthcare, but it happens in microfinance and, and work with or- orphans and vulnerable kids all the time. And so I don't think those things are, are limited to our geography or our ethnicity or our experience or upbringing. And um, I think, you know, we live in a global kingdom uh, yeah. that is, is calling all of us to serve in, in multiple ways locally uh, and all over the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there are so many different areas and you guys, as you, you know, had already mentioned, you guys are really working in that medical care and disability space. Can you kind of just give us a brief history, you know, of how Cure came about and, and really the gap that, that it fills within care for vulnerable people around the world? Yeah, it's a really great story. And our founders are, are people I think we all look up to. Uh, Dr. Scott and his wife, Sally Harrison, started probably like many of us going on mission trips overseas and saw a huge need that they had a professional and and skill that they could help with. In Scott's case, he was an orthopedic surgeon and Mm -hmm. Sally was a nurse and both with huge ministry hearts and wanted to treat the whole person and um, started doing these trips overseas and saw the, the massive disparity of healthcare options, especially for the poor and especially for kids who are often probably the last to get healthcare in, in different sort of family constructs when, you know, the bread, the, the, the breadwinner would be the first to be treated and the child would probably be last. And so they wanted to flip that paradigm where the kids would be first to receive care and have a whole new opportunity for, for their future. So the first hospital opened in, in Kenya in uh, about 25 years ago, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. And uh, that network has grown all over the world. We have eight hospitals today for kids. Uh, We've completed more than 300,000 surgeries and shared the gospel with uh, more than a million and a half people over that time. So it's it's quite a ministry. We have more than a thousand staff, uh, just about 100 doctors, 260 nurses. Uh, whole ministry teams. It's it's quite a complicated operation. I will I will confess to you, and yeah. um, you can imagine all that goes into running a, a hospital, let alone a surgical hospital, where um, lots of things can can go wrong. Lots of things go right, but it is it is a complicated operation. Well, yeah, let alone one hospital, but but how about eight of them? I mean, that's a it, it, it's a tall order, but you know, you guys are meeting needs that uh, that other people aren't meeting, you know, and that's you know one of one of the major premises of your work, 
you know, actually acknowledges that a lot of these are actually treatable conditions. Um, but unfortunately, they do go unhealed. Uh, and because of that, it can actually lead to kind of a permanent disability for a lot of these individuals and children that you guys are working with. You know, can you maybe just kind of help us understand, you know, you guys have eight hospitals overall, seven are in, I, I think, uh, primarily sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and then you guys have one in the Philippines as well. Um, can you just kind of speak to the environments in which Cure International works and, and you know, where these where these conditions are, are going untreated, you know, that, that kind of overall environment that if cure or somebody like cure isn't meeting that need what's going on in those environments for for families and children that you're serving yeah thanks we really do we do really do focus our efforts on uh, children made vulnerable by disability and um, some of those are congenital uh, disabilities some of them have happened as a result of accidents Uh, but many many of them are able to be treated with um, specialized surgical care and that's really the space we, we fill. And we do that as well as really focusing on training national uh, healthcare workers, which is a huge part of our pillars of practice um, because you know there's only so much we can do from one hospital. But if we can train uh, other doctors, other surgeons, other nurses, technical health healthcare professionals, then we can really multiply the impact that our, our facility can have. So there's the acute treatment of the patient, which is obviously a huge part of our ministry. And then there's a, a strong multiplication component to what we're doing with training uh, national healthcare workers. Ultimately, all of us, we're really trying to, to find the, the child that's been left behind, the child whose disability has caused them to stop going to school because it's too painful to walk, um, or they're too ridiculed because of their condition that um, socially it's just too much pressure for them or they're neglected and left in homes uh, where they you know, have rickets because they haven't had seen the sunlight because their family's shunning them. These are all very real situations that almost every patient we see yeah. um, goes through in their life and it can lead to a pretty significant life of suffering. Um, there's obviously things we can and can't do. We can't treat some conditions fully. So, you know, we often talk about healing and sometimes it's not a full healing. Like um, there's certain, there's certain types of conditions where, you know, we can improve the quality of life for a child, but they wouldn't sort of be the prototypical before, after condition. And, and really we're just here to help that child live life to its full as God created them to be and uh, to do the best we can with, with what we have and, and the condition that they, they do have. So um, yeah. we complete about we complete about eighteen thousand nineteen thousand surgeries a year, so the volume is pretty significant. I don't know, roughly three hundred three hundred fifty a week, um, and uh, you know, all sorts of all sorts of different conditions. So and and you guys are drawing kids in from other countries as well, right? Because you have these certain hubs that are in these certain countries, but you're actually serving more countries than just those eight where you actually have a facility, right? What does that look like? Yeah, there's about, we receive patients from about 23 total countries with eight hospitals. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in a lot of countries where just health, quality health care isn't available to people living in poverty. And we yeah. don't charge for services. And so, you know, if a family can, can jump on a public transport or a boat or whatever it is and make it to a hospital, they'll, they'll be treated the same as a kid who pulls up in a land cruiser. And uh, everybody's treated the same. 
and no one is no one's provided no one's turned away um nobody gets special treatment it's it's uh kind of everything is is the same for all the all the children regardless of where they come from which country they come from what their economic standing is and that's really helped us to level the playing field for for all kids um in many ways uh the countries that are adjacent to the countries we are in uh, really tend to not have very many healthcare options for these these specialized um, conditions. Yeah, it's and I would just encourage our listeners uh, if you guys are social media folks, I'm mostly only on LinkedIn myself. But what I will say is, when you follow Cure on social media, they have probably the most remarkable uh, posts that I see because you can actually see. Uh, these uh, individuals, these children, these young people, and so forth, that uh, have a significant disability—you um, know, limbs that are have didn't grow properly—and they need, you know, massive corrective surgery. I mean, the before and after is is remarkable. It almost kind of seems like, you know, Jesus, you know, uh, healing a paralytic in some ways. You know, it's that it's that type of transformation. And obviously, you guys are doing that through medical care uh, yeah. and prayer, of course. Um, but it is, it, I mean, it's remarkable. It, it really is. Yeah, we, we, we often call, call them miracles. You know, they're modern day miracles in, in some sense. Um, and, and I think the biggest part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to point people to Jesus. And there's lots of different ways all of us try to do that all over the world. But um, the medical care is super important and obviously transformational. Um, but it's really important that people see Christ in, in what we're doing and in the compassion of our staff and really their outlook moving forward, because we do believe that these are sort of divine appointments that, that the patients have, the caregivers have. And it's one of, I mean, you, you've probably had your kids in the hospital, right? And I, I yeah. we just do this with one of our children, a scary episode. He had a, um, a reaction to a surgery actually. And um, we were in the hospital and you just feel really vulnerable, right? You don't know what's 100%. going on very complicated. There's people coming in and out and, and we know that, and we know that those parents need, they need counseling, they need care, they need ministry support in addition to really good health care. And so when we can combine those things, you know, genuinely, thoughtfully, I think it's a really great picture of the kingdom. Absolutely. No. And I've been in that situation. In fact, when we were living in Tanzania, um, we had our daughter and this was shortly after we adopted our son Moses. So we were still in the you know throes of kind of uh, getting him kind of situated within our family and, you know, the attachment process and all of that. And uh, at bedtime, uh, my uh, daughter, who was only like, three years old at the time, fell out of her bed and broke her arm. And this happened uh, for, for those of us that are listening uh, in East Africa or for people that have been there. Um, this happened on a Saturday night. So what does that mean? That means the hospitals close the next day and you're actually, you know, at nighttime. And eventually we got her in and there was x-rays and some of the physicians were okay. Some of them were not okay. And like, eventually we were able to get in with an orthopedic because she broke it right above her elbow. And I I remember talking with one of the administrators when they were actually had her under, you know, anesthesia and they were kind of resetting it. And thank God we had a really good Tanzanian doctor. Eventually he wasn't the first one we talked to, but eventually we got a very good one and they were able to set it. But I just remember being in the observing room 
and looking in and seeing, you know, these doctors working on my daughter. And it is a very vulnerable, it is a very scary space for a parent to be in that spot. And praise God, she was able to get, you know, the help that she needed. But many kids uh, in her situation that break their arm in a place like Tanzania uh, are just not going to get adequate care. And that's why it's important to have hospitals like what Cure does. Yeah. And there's, there's kids who, you know, fall over open fires all the time. Right. Right. Uh, And very severe burns um, that can limit mobility. And, and, you know, those can be treated if you have access to great care, if you don't, or are unable to pay for it, that, that burn could become a permanent disability for a child and have a whole different path for their life just by that simple accident, Um, neglected traumas, right. Broken bones that heal wrong and, and all of those, those things tend to limit mobility and really limit opportunity. Well, and what does that, I mean, what does that path look like for that kid that had that serious burn or had that broken arm that, you know, didn't get properly set and healed? I mean, how does that disability affect those children, you know, going forward? Well, and you and I both know, what do you see most commonly on the side of streets in big capital cities in Africa? You see people with massive disabilities who are begging on the street and sometimes they're being used as, as pawns really for people to extort money from, from them. And it's heartbreaking. I mean, I was just in um, Kampala a month ago and just so many adults with just massive disabilities and, and that's the life and it's not obviously the life for all of them. Right. But it is a path that disability can lead to. And if it can be, if it can be treated, I think that's really where, uh, we want, we want to be in, in preventing that sort of outcome for, for kids when, when it's ever possible. Right. Yeah. It was certainly the case that one vulnerability leads to other potential exploitation and, and, uh, that just kind of compounds hardship upon hardship, adversity upon adversity. And that's why it is important that we help these individuals and, and help them the sooner, the better, you know, and, and of course our audience is really accustomed to us talking about specifically about the needs of vulnerable children. And this is really an emphasis for Cure International as well. You know, maybe just kind of pair that out a little bit. Why, why is it that, that vulnerable children specifically are so important to, to the work that you guys do? Yeah. I mean, it really goes down to our, to our founding. It's, it's what we were created to do that cure actually is an acronym for the children's United rehabilitation effort. Um, and that's, that's the, the crux of, of who we are. And I think the idea that the founders had was really, you know, if you do something at the beginning of a child's life, it, it completely changes their future. And the earlier that they, they are treated, the, the more likely they are to go back to school and have all of those opportunities that, that we want kids to have to be, to be kids, you know? And uh, so it's definitely a long-term view on, on treating, treating children. And I think the other piece to it is, you know, statistically, children who are made vulnerable by poverty or by disability or by whatever sort of socioeconomic conditions they're having are often uh, very little access to healthcare, And it's, it's in these types of communities where um, these conditions can kind of be exacerbated by other sort of poverty. So uh, access to health care for anyone is super important. Access to health care for very vulnerable kids is often not even an option. And so I think, you know, when we look at sort of um, 
availability of healthcare to all people. You, you think about some of the really challenging environments where, where vulnerable children are, and they're just no options. And so somebody has to fill that space, right? right. And that's really where we want to be. And we're even working really closely with partners who are serving in those communities all the time. Uh, in Malawi, we have a great relationship with World Vision. And they have so many kids in those in those uh, programs, those area development programs, that have disabilities, and we can work together to treat them, and really partner together to help uh, serve those communities well. So that's that's the space we want to be in, and those are um, the locations that we want to serve in. And we also do that in humility, understanding that there are people who are also doing that too, and we'd really like to work with them and work together to provide um, care for the whole the whole child. Have you ever been doing nonprofit work and wish you had a helping hand? Or that there was a skill set your team was lacking to fully execute a project? Do you ever just wish to go deeper in community with others of the same mind and heart? At Canopy International, we are firm believers that you aren't meant to do the work of justice alone. That just isn't the way that God designed us to operate. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to our team of coaches and professionals that are available to come alongside you as God brings you deeper into the work of global justice. Our team is made up of seasoned professionals working in both large and small organizations with specific skill sets that are ready to help you and your team. If you're looking for support, coaching, or fractional work, head over to canopy.international to meet our team of professionals and then hit the contact button to drop us a line and get connected to the support and the community that you need. Yeah, absolutely. And I love to hear that piece around, you know, collaboration for you guys. That could be World Vision. Undoubtedly, it's other organizations as well, you know, creating those networks so that we can make sure that kids are getting the specific need that they, you know, have met. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I would really encourage our listeners to go check out cure.org, that's C-U-R-E.org, um, because you guys have just a tremendous amount of information. And, and you know, as I was preparing for this interview, being familiar with Cure, but really wanting to dig in, you guys had a lot of really kind of helpful information. And one thing that really stood out to me from your guys' website was uh, you guys reported that Africa has about 25% of the world's disease burden, but only 1.3% of the health workforce. And people could maybe kind of pick up on that from the conversation that we already begun, Justin. Um, but that is quite the disparity. Can you maybe just kind of speak to that a little bit? And then, you know, how Cure works to not only bring healing to your patients, but also to actually strengthen national health systems and kind of the overall capacity, you know, within these countries that you guys are working. Yeah. It's, there's a lot to unpack with, with that one for sure. The, you know, for all of us, we come as guests into the countries where we serve, you know, and a lot of what we try to do, I think all of us are trying to work within government structures as much as it's practical and, and helpful uh, but really, you know, for us as a, as a healthcare institution, we work within the Ministry of Health and um, we're licensed and we operate within the Ministry of Health guidelines and in many ways see ourselves as partners with the Ministry of Health in ensuring um, more access to healthcare for kids, not just at Cure, but at other healthcare institutions. And so we've really tried to take a proactive partnership approach to, to national health system strengthening. And a lot of it does come back to training. And we've actually become um, 
certified to be teaching hospitals. And so, you know, we have residency programs. We're starting a fellowship program in one of our hospitals and really working to not just source physicians for our hospitals, but many of these doctors will serve in, in government hospitals for the rest of their career, which to us is a huge win and have skills that, that are transferable and can treat more kids too. Uh, we've, we've started working with other referral hospitals, um, providing equipment and things that can help them serve more patients better where they're interested in doing it. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to um, partnership and mutual um, respect and ultimately um, shared concern for, for the patients that we, we all want to serve. So for us, in a, in a way, it's, it's a bit easier because we, we have a formal relationship with the government, specifically on strengthening the health systems through these public-private partnerships that um, allow us to often you know, have our hospitals on government property and allow us to have certain benefits like duty-free entry of medical equipment and supplies. And so that's part of the partnership is that they really help the hospital run well, and we help um, try to strengthen the national health systems as much as it's helpful and, and useful for the the Ministry of Health. No, that's so good to kind of have that as a as as some kind of inside viewpoint because every person who's listening to this works for you know works with or is engaged with some sort of nonprofit, and having that you know, partnership with the government is, is really critical. And we should all be looking for these win-win, you know, situations. And, and that's what you're describing in, in many ways. And uh, it's a, it's, it's a benefit and it's a blessing to the broader community. You know, one thing that, that you were talking about in there as well, Justin, that I kind of want to look into a little bit more within these environments where you guys are working, you guys are investing in professional development, you know, of locals, and you're also promoting sustainability. Can you just can you just kind of help us understand what that what that looks like for you guys? I mean, I mean, what do those residencies look like? What is it what does it look like for you guys to really kind of not just be you know serving your 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 patients, but also investing in locals and and promoting sustainability? Yeah. So so we don't run medical schools, but we we do run residency programs and work with others who who do. Um, and the idea being. Uh, really what we're trying to develop is is specialty care for kids and in orthopedics and plastics in, in neurosurgery. So it's that next level of specialization that you know often takes four or five years for for a, a, a medical graduate to uh, be move from becoming a medical officer to you know a surgeon and to having a specialized skill that really does um, set them apart to treat really complicated cases. Uh, same is true in anesthesia, but it's the it's the next level of of specialization that really does um, help increase access to surgical care for for patients. Uh, we have uh, we have a fellowship program in in Kenya, and it kind of works with our hospital in Ethiopia now. We work with another a really great school down in Cape Town that does neurosurgical residency for for some of our medical officers. It's five year programs. So it's long, it's long tail stuff, right? I mean, this, any sort of specialized medical care really does have a, have a long um, life cycle to it. And I think that's part of the issue with the lack of available specialized healthcare is it just takes a long time to train a surgeon to do that work. 
And sometimes our timelines don't align with those types of um, long view or longer term commitments to to see uh, national doctors come to to that level of of skill set. So it is a long game. And I think, you know, what we're talking about, you know, you don't change a health system overnight. You don't change a health system in, you know, a generation. You're talking about a really long-term perspective. And ideally, the people you train become trainers of other people. And so it multiplies out that way, which you can do through fellowship programs. So it is not a quick fix. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing some of that disparity in the availability of healthcare and professional healthcare workers. And uh, it really does require a long-term perspective, which is um, very difficult and expensive, quite frankly, to to do. So... Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I mean, what we're talking about is like, it it isn't just like a, it's not just a single surgery. Um, It's not just a single hospital. What we're talking about is actually like building infrastructure, essentially. And infrastructure is not built overnight. You have to build all of these systems so that they can continue to operate. And Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say, nor is medical services in Kenya or Uganda or wherever, you know, fill in the blank. So it is, it is a long haul. Um, you know, I would be almost kind of interested to kind of hear, you know, with you guys being, you know, having your, your U S base, but then all of these, I mean, how do you guys kind of manage that from, from just kind of that cross-cultural, um, almost like that, that, like, uh, being, being outsiders for some of your staff, but then also investing in the local staff, like, how do you kind of, how do you kind of manage that kind of cross-cultural thing, even along the lines of sustainability? It's a great question, and it's hard. What we've where we've landed at that is really uh, try to have a blend of international expertise with um, incredibly talented national doctors. And so, if you were to you know visit any of our hospitals, you would see probably a surgeon from I don't know the UK, for example, who's fellowship trained specialty pediatric surgeon, who's working arm in arm with uh, an Ethiopian. A doctor who's incredibly skilled, and that's the that's the space we want to be in, where we're not um, we're we're able to blend international expertise with incredible local talent, and really um, sort of have a multiplier effect with with what's possible in a country, and that that has worked well for us. So we we have that blend almost at every hospital where where we we work, and it's intentional. And we think it it is uh, it, it works for both sides, if, if that right. makes sense. Right. No, yeah, it makes total sense. We are seeing uh, a lot of really talented national surgeons come into our system. And I, I mean, when I say surgeons, I mean doctors in general, um, anesthesiologists, yeah. uh, pediatricians, GPs. And, and more and more of them are just incredible and are becoming leaders in our organization and uh, and that's also a place where we want to be too. So yeah. that blend of international expertise, incredible national talent working together um, and sort of mutuality and, and respect and uh, trying to challenge each other to be better too is really a great space to be in. Yeah, no, that's really good. And, and I mean, as we were talking about earlier, the the need is so tremendous and those gaps in terms of you know, the disease burden versus the actual healthcare, you know, availability is just 
so significant. And, and we're not just talking about a few people or one country. We're talking about millions of people, including people with disability, um, people with lack of access to healthcare in many parts of the world. And we don't want to leave anybody behind, right? We, we, want, we want to address those needs for everyone. So one thing that we do hear about quite a bit when it comes to actually providing an initiative like a healthcare initiative, like surgery initiatives, is one thing that we might hear about is scale, right? And this is something that, that obviously, if we're just like marketing and selling t-shirts, you know, we, we can look at like, how can we move these, these, these uh, units, you know, at a higher scale? But this is, this is also a word that comes into the international development space. Um, I would just be kind of interesting because you guys are a lot bigger than, you know, when your founders first uh, started the, the organization. Uh, and at the same time, the need is just so tremendous. I mean, can you speak to this term of scale, uh, which is just kind of increasing in the global development space? And, and does it belong? Does it not? If so, when does it apply? When does it not? I mean, how do you kind of think through that as, as an organization that has grown tremendously, but still has so much need in front of you? Yeah, it's a really good question and a hard one. To, to think about. I think what we're trying to say is how can we have the most impact, right? I think that's what we're trying to, when we use a term like that, at least that's my interpretation of that, which is how, how can we have the most impact and meet, help meet the needs, the greatest possible um, opportunity and serve really well. I think for what we've tried to do here is, is really focus in on a few pillars of practice that we are exceptional at and try to grow our impact through those. So for us, it's it's medicine. It's a really intentional ministry plan and a very intentional training plan. And even within those, we're really focused on really kind of doing two things really well, uh, which is you know medical care, ministry care. But we don't treat all conditions. Um, you know, we unfortunately aren't able yeah. to, yeah. to treat a lot of different things that are very common in, in countries where we are because we can only do what we are best at. And thankfully, we can do a lot of that because we're focused on it. There's always that tendency to try to do um, kind of everything, be really sort of a mile wide and what is it, an inch deep or something like that. I forgot the expression. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, for us, it's really sort of focusing in on a core competency and doing that really well which allows us to, to have some level of scale with it because we are doing the same thing over and over and over again uh, versus trying to do a lot of different things and being very inefficient with how, with how we do it. So I think it's the hedgehog theory, which is you know sort of the, the Jim Collins thing, which is do one thing, do it really well. Uh, and you know people might disagree with me on that, but for us, that's what, that's what we've tried to do is say, we can do pediatric, orthopedic surgery, pediatric plastic surgery, really well, uh, neurosurgery, really well. But pretty much that's all we do. And that's our lane, and we're trying to, to stick to it. And obviously, there's all these tentacles that come out of it with training and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, that's, all, that's how we have defined our ability to, to scale up service. And even though the temptation is to do a lot of different things. And honestly, it's heartbreaking because there's a lot of things that we wish we could do um, and could do if we changed our model, but really aren't, aren't wired to do. And that's, that's really difficult 
to say no to a lot of really good things to say yes to the the primary purpose of the mission. Yeah, and I think that that's really good um, advice for a lot of ministries that are listening in. I, I think when you enter into a community, it's easy to see um, all the needs, right? And I, I feel as though, you know, especially coming out of the orphan care space, um, there's been a lot of organizations that I would see that would say, wow, poverty is such a, is such an antecedent factor to these kids, you know, entering orphanages and we want to get them into families. What if we can solve the poverty thing? What if we start this economic development, you know, program? And so many of those just fall by the wayside because you're not built for that. You're not built for that. And that's, and that's a whole other scope, you know? So, so staying within your lane then allows you to, uh, to, to major on the majors and, and stick to the thing that, that you are best at so that you can do more of it. And and I think that that's really good advice. Yeah. And even for us, for Christian practitioners, right. There's, there's something that God called you to do originally. Right. And, and sometimes, um, you know, it expands or whatever, but for, for us at Cure, it was like, what did God call our founders to do? And how do we, how do we stay true to that, even though things change over time? And, and I think that's a management decision, right? And ultimately a kind of a, a board or a governance decision. But if, if God called you to specialize in something and you're really technically proficient at it, there is nothing wrong with just doing a lot of that. And um, it's often very, very, very difficult to just stay focused on what God's called you to do. Um, and things change over time, and I, I get all that. But for us in particular, it was a very specialized um, calling and a very specialized skill set. And so I think in some ways it's um, it's nice because we wouldn't know what to do with a water project. I, I mean, right. I've run water projects for years, and we would have no idea what to do with a water project. But healthcare itself is very broad, too. And right. there's a lot of different services you could provide from a hospital. And so it's very, very difficult to say, yeah, this is this is what we're going to do. We don't do hernias, you know. Um, we don't yeah. do general health care. And, and it's hard to, 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 to say no to those things and to those people right. and those kids. Well, one of the things that, that kind of comes to mind, Justin, you know, you talk about the founders and, you know, they had a vision. They had something that they wanted to institute. And um, you're not the founder, but you are the CEO. I, I imagine there's been a few executives since then, potentially. I'm not sure. But, mm-hmm. you know, how this this kind of passing from the founder to subsequent, you know, CEO or, or, or so forth can kind of be a challenge for you to kind of be stewarding this, you know, mission that God had called the organization to as a whole. Um, how do you kind of manage that? Like staying true to the founding uh, while not being the founder. I mean, because to be honest, um, it, when we talk about founders, I'm, uh, this is this is not about your guys as founders or anything. But founders like to found, and sometimes when they when they have one thing that they want to do, and then they want to go and they want to found something else, and they want to go found something else, and sometimes that kind of shifts the scope quite a bit. For you guys, I mean, you guys have had a have had what appears to be a pretty singular scope from founder to subsequent executives. I mean, how do you kind of manage that kind of north star? with what the founding was, but do it in a way where you're just leading to, you know, effectiveness and impact and, and so forth without kind of going sideways at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I benefited from the people that I followed really. And it was, 
we were pretty focused. I mean, we really didn't um, have, sure, we made a lot of decisions and things like that, but it mostly came down to a system that was already running. You know, I feel very fortunate um, that I came into something that was already going very focused on what we were doing. And, um, and a lot of the folks who were in the beginning are still around. And so I've had the benefit of relationship, you know, with a guy like Dr. Tim Mead, who was the first surgeon in Kenya and Dr. Thury, who was right there with him 25 years ago. And I, they, you know, Dr. Mead does a volunteer with us. Dr. Thury is still at the hospital. And so there's longevity and yeah. uh, relationships with people who worked with the founders who are still around. And I think we all have, have benefited from, from that. So it's really, uh, I feel really privileged to have people like those people around, even the, the founders are still around and yeah. to have relationship with them is hugely important. And for, you know, the predecessors who came before me, I still have relationship with them and that's really important to me. So I, I feel pretty privileged to be honest without the, with the situation I was able to, to walk into. Well, it's so good. I mean, and what I'm hearing is consistency, relationship, you know, maintaining the same focus, the same scope, like all of these things are what actually can enable an organization to grow and reach more people. And that's what we want, especially for us as Christian practitioners. We want to reach more people with whatever God's gifted us in. And what an incredible legacy, you know, at Cure International that you guys can do that. Yeah, I think we're fortunate. I really do. And uh, I know that's not always the case, but um, in this yeah. in this situation, I really... That's awesome. Well, you know, one of the things I want to go back to, um, you know, one of the things that you were talking about was your guys' kind of founding verse in Luke 9, and you really emphasize this call to to both heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. Maybe just, you know, we've talked a lot about the medical care piece, um, but maybe talk some of that ministry piece. You know, how do you couple your medical care with the role of the church and discipleship and outreach and so forth? Yeah. It's great, and it's hugely important to us. We, we've often talked about a 50-50 model of medical and ministry care. Um, you know, and these, like philosophically, some people say 100%, 100% in both, and, and uh, either way that you kind of work with the math, uh, having, having an intentional ministry program is really important to us. So uh, I guess really practically, in the hospital, we have ministry teams. Um, they meet with each of the patients, each of the caretakers. Uh, they're trained in biblical counseling. Uh, they have skills in trauma counseling. The challenge is we're only with them for a short time. You know, our, our average length of stay kind of goes between five and eight days, depending on the condition and the treatment. Some are with us long-term, and we have those sort of long-term kind of hostile, uh, which allow us to have really great ministry opportunities with people who are with us for the long-term. But we have specific people with specific jobs within the hospital that are all ministry-related. We have a play coordinator who make sure that the kids have fun when they're in the hospital. Uh, we do worship, we do Bible studies. Everybody has a role within the hospital, just like they do on the medical team, but on the ministry side, um, to really serve serve um, caretakers and, and kids while they're in there. We have some really great uh, materials that introduce Jesus to kids that are um, in local languages and are kind of story formats that don't require reading and they're kind of age appropriate and they can take those with them. So we, we try to do that. I think one of the areas we've really leaned into recently is developing a pastor network where we can try to plug in people after they're at the hospital with us. And, it, you know, in some countries that's easier than others, just based on size and, and scope. 
But the pastor network is a huge part of really what we're doing post-care for, for patients and families. And we've started working on a training program for pastors. Uh, it's called a Theology of Disability. And we worked with um, Cupenda and Johnny and Friends and different um, ministries who have these resources to kind of package their materials in such a way that we can train our pastor networks on these different theological understandings of disability, which are hugely important to come from the church um, and to address some of the false and harmful beliefs about disability, which you know are often sort of theological in nature where people believe curses have come upon families for things that they've done. And sometimes, you know, we can even perpetuate those within our, within the Christian circles. And that's really dangerous and harmful. So uh, the pastor network is a huge thing of what we've been leaning into um, and really trying to provide some specialized training for the pastors uh, to engage with with uh, topics of disability and um, to really create welcoming communities where, where kids with disabilities and families with disabilities are, are welcomed and loved and not shunned and sort of excommunicated. So yeah. I guess it's, it's, a, it's a complicated thing, but uh, there's ministry at the hospital and there's ministry in the community. And yeah. we're very intentional yeah. about having a program for both. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it, and and you and you guys have yeah. assets in both. You guys have you guys have yeah. It has to be resourced. Yeah, right. it really does need to be resourced well. It needs great leadership. We have a chief ministry officer who oversees our ministry. We have a chief medical officer who oversees the medical side. We're all on the executive team together, and it's just hugely important to to what we're doing. So we haven't we haven't outsourced it. We haven't delegated it. We're trying to make it a, a huge part of our our day-to-day work, but it does take resources. It does take intentionality. It takes strategy and planning and really defined roles and um, relationships in the community. Yeah, no, that's so good, Justin. And man, this is uh, this has been so such a blessing for me to hear more about. I know it's going to bless all of our listeners, you know, just the, the whole healthcare space. And, you know, we can think of like the Ronald McDonald house or, you know, I'm not too far from a children's hospital here in the Tacoma area. And, you know, we can think of in terms of what that infrastructure looks like, you know, in places like LA or Seattle or wherever. But when we're talking about Uganda, Ethiopia, the Philippines, I mean, it's, it is a whole other ball game. So what you guys are doing is, is just really remarkable. And to do that infused with the love of Christ, uh, is just really beautiful. Um, all right. Last question that we ask our guests, you know, we have a lot of people that are listening in, um, that just have that same heart. They want to see, you know, God working in, in throughout the world. So for someone that is pursuing God's heart of justice, you know, in the nations, what is one thing that you would recommend that they do? Just one, huh? However many you like, bro. <laughs> I jotted down a few notes because I, I thought this is a really important question. And I tried to reflect on my own experience too. It's, it's this combination, right, of, of taking action and, and having courage uh, that's coupled with compassion, I think, is a, is a huge part of it. Uh, I also really, you know, I'm thinking about my kids when I answer a question like this, right? And what's the kind of advice I would give to my kids who have grown up with their dad doing this kind of stuff and have been overseas many times? And what I really have been trying to, to work through with, with our oldest kids is just this idea of having a specialized skill that can be transferred and coming to a place where you, you go through significant training so that you could be useful 
in a, in a really productive, practical, professional way, but also in a way where you could train somebody else to have that same skill. And that's sort of where I've been at is, is making, having ourselves be equipped with tools that are professionally productive and transferable to other people through really intentional training programs. So I think it's, I think if you can combine passion with professional skills and a really deep prayer life that is sensitive to where the Holy Spirit's leading you, that's a pretty great combination to be. Yeah. But oftentimes it does take a while for us to obtain those skills. And sometimes that we don't see that return on the investment right away. But I think long term, that kind of uh, skill set is, is highly transferable, highly desired. I mean, you know how important trainings are, right? Just in right. general, everybody yeah. wants to be trained in something, get a, get a certificate right. in something, get a hard skill in, right. in something that can be professionally put to work in a, in a, in a low resource context environment. So that's sort of where I'm at now. Um, yeah. You know, I may be different in a year, but that's where I'm at now, especially because I work with very sort of technical specialists who have gone through a lot of training and put in years and years and years of their life. But now they're multiplying their impact pretty significantly yeah. through yeah. a whole new generation of physicians. And that's pretty cool. And yeah. you can't do that unless you've gone through the years of a specialized training to, to be in a place like that. So, well, yeah. to me, but that sounds like, yeah. yeah, that sounds like discipleship to me. I mean, you you develop an aptitude, you pass it along to other people, and uh, that that's beautiful. And that's the model that Christ left us with. So, uh, Justin, thank you so much for for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate your time with us, uh, and thank you for the important work that you guys are doing at Cure International. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. And and honestly, for anybody who's listening, we really do try to uh, work in partnership, and so. Uh, if there's any connection that that they might have with Cure or interest in in the countries where we serve or, or neighboring countries, I do uh, encourage everybody to reach out to us and and see if there's a way we can work together to expand God's kingdom. Absolutely. Well, we're all about creating connection and collaboration points. So uh, definitely follow up uh, with Cure International. Uh, Justin, thank you again for uh, your time on this show today, and uh, to our listeners. You know what our prayer is. May Almighty God, who created us in his own image, grant us grace to fearlessly contend against evil and to make no peace with oppression, and that we may reverently use our freedom and employ it in the maintenance of justice in our communities and among the nations, to the glory of God's holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you guys so much, and we will uh, talk to you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Think Global. If you enjoyed the show, please do three things for us. One, rate and review us online. Two, share it with a friend. And three, join us at canopy.international so you can plug into a community of disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We'll talk to you soon.